Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another Weed and Grub Spotlight Series episode. We have something to ask of you today. We submitted a panel for consideration at South by Southwest 2020, and part of our panel being selected is by people voting for it. So would you please check out the link in our show description for this episode and vote for our panel today? It only takes a minute. Our panel would feature the incredible Open Mike Eagle, Ron Funches, and Laganja Estranja for a discussion about the role of art in cannabis advocacy, and we're so excited about the possibility of bringing Weed and Grub to South by Southwest. You can check out the link in our show description or go to weedandgrub.com or check out our Instagram and Facebook for more info. And we're really hoping you'll go and vote today. Hello, and welcome to Weed and Grub. What up, Mary Jane? How's it going, Mike? I'm so happy. Thank you for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing great. Great. Could you please introduce yourself and let everyone know your name and what you do? Sure thing. I'm Narvi Alexandrian. I'm the president and CEO of Canopy Rivers, the, the venture capital affiliate of Canopy Growth. And that is a new recent title. Yes. Yeah. So I got promoted to president and CEO back in May of 2019, so a few months ago. And then I was, uh, I was pushed to president or promoted to president back in January of 2019. So it's been a, it's been a fun ride. It's been a short, quick acceleration too. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, just coming into this industry, that there's so much growth happening. So it's kind of cool to see yourself personally grow uh, from from a title perspective as well. So uh, it's been quite the ride. Uh, I always say that cannabis every every three months of cannabis is like a one year in the tech industry, which which I came from, and the tech industry moves really fast as well. So uh, you can just imagine how quickly we go in this industry. And right now, Canopy is the largest cannabis company operating? Right now it is, yes, correct. And and it hopefully will be for a very, very, very long time. Wow. Yeah. Oh, instead of like um, on top of the mountain, it's just on top of this big pile of bud. Cush <laughs> Mountain? Cush Mountain, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you've had an amazing vantage point uh, heading up Canopy and working with Canopy as Canadian federal legalization rolled out. How has that been? It's been awesome. Uh, quite, quite frankly, it's been uh, quite the ride as well. So I came from the tech industry, like I said. In the tech industry, the, the, the typical entrepreneurs and investors are very sophisticated. As you can imagine, there's enough blog posts, there's enough activity going on that you can really learn just by opening up your laptop and just reading the news and, and hearing about what other founders are saying. When I joined the canopy and cannabis industry a year ago, you didn't have that. So just the sophistication of the entrepreneurs, the, the, the friendliness of the investor base just wasn't there. Um, and I thought that was a huge opportunity to jump into the space and, and be like that Silicon Valley type investor where we're very entrepreneur friendly, uh, we're more patient than the typical venture investor in, in the cannabis space, and we just truly want the companies to grow into natural acquisition or go public. So do you have the most fun job because you get to go out and find who those companies are? I, I'd say so. I'd say that the team does a really good job of it as well, so it's not just me. Over the last year, and this is a stat that really uh, excites people, we've seen through our, our deals team alone, 1,523 pitches. Whoa. So every day our analysts and associates and directors and senior directors are looking at six to seven pitches. So they're sitting in for half an hour to an hour, spending half the day to three quarters of the day just listening to entrepreneurs talking about what they want to develop in this 
new revolution in this new industry that's globally taking over. Wow. Can we I put a pin in a pitch? Yep. And just talk a little bit about um, what Canopy is and does on a very base level so that our listeners can, can just have an idea of what we're about to dive into. Yeah, so so I'll, I'll talk about what venture capital is first and dive into what Canopy Rivers is. Venture capital is uh, a, a group of funds that, that what we do is we invest money into startups. And these startups aren't mature yet. They're still growing. They're still trying to either find what their business model is or they found the business model they want to scale. And that's the difference between a seed VC fund and a series A VC fund. We give them capital. We take a minority stake, so under 50%, uh, and help them grow. So we help them grow by adding them to new geographies, helping them get through regulations, finding out what outputs and inputs they could get from other companies to really focus on what they do very well. And they grow to a certain level where they naturally go into an acquisition. Hopefully, Canopy Growth buys uh, a few of our companies or they go into a, a go public and they become their own public entity. And through that process, we, uh, as a fund, we cash out. Mm-hmm. So th- that, that's generally what venture capital is. To give you a bit of like an ethos of, of what Canopy Rivers was and how it got created, uh, back in April of 2017, uh, Canopy Growth was looking at making acquisitions within the space in anticipation for legalization in Canada. The company looked a lot different, a billion and a half of market cap, 100 million of cash on its books. Uh, and they were talking to Canadian operators uh, in, in, in hopes of inorganically growing so that when legalization happened in Canada, they were ready to go. Some operators were open to, to being acquired. Other operators wanted to ride the wave of legalization. Mm-hmm. So the thought process was that if, if this is indeed going to be a half a trillion dollar global opportunity, there's going to be multiple winners out there, multiple operators, entrepreneurs, business models, geographies that really do something differently. And this is about a year ahead of legalization in Canada? Supposed to be a year ahead, end up being a year and a half, because mm-hmm. as you can imagine, uh, regulatory bodies take a little while longer than they say they're going to take. Uh, <laughs> so it got drawn out a bit, but but yeah, right. uh, pr- pretty much uh, a, a year uh, in advance. Uh so the thought process there was why not just take uh, more fi- irons in the fire or own the gas station on both sides of the street or two, take two, two shots on net. This is kind of the stuff that Bruce always talked about. Uh, is that a hockey metaphor? It's a, it's a hockey metaphor, soccer metaphor. I have to find something when I go to the U.S. and talk because <laughs> I need a different metaphor. Yeah. Maybe a football one, but uh, it's like taking two kicks at the net. I don't, I don't know. No, Mike, Mike was a hockey guy. We're into hockey here. Oh, too. yeah? Okay. Yeah. Well, you're Canadian, so yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. Uh, so so that, that was the kind of the, the thought process there. And any regulatory body looking to legalize isn't going to give a monopolistic advantage to a single company, but they're going to give it to a number of them. So that's how Canopy Rivers was born. Fast mm-hmm. forward to now, we have 18 portfolio companies. And I can talk a bit about the thesis as well, but but I'll, I'll stop there. And as, a, as an overall company, Canopy is actually supplying a lot of Canada's uh, recreational, the retail market, correct? Yeah, so they okay. have the highest uh, market share and the mind share with, right. um, within the country. And they've expanded into the U.S. through the acreage deal. Uh, and as well as they have uh, spots all over the world. So I think it's about, last I checked, about 15 countries around the world that they have operations in. So if you like weed, you've encountered Canopy somewhere along your travels, probably. Oh, 100%. Everyone knows who we are, which is um, really easy for me Yeah. Uh, when it comes to the pitch. But uh, they're doing a great job. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. So yeah, I'd love to dive into pitching a little bit because if you've heard over a thousand of them and you have how many in your portfolio? 18. 18. Not a high percentage, but a lot of listening. So what makes a good pitch and a good idea, whether big or small? There, there's, there's naturally three things. 
Uh, one is you're looking at the market size. So you, you try to understand how big the market or niche is that the company is going to. So we have a, a, a portable vaporizer here. Uh, um, portable va vaporizers are going to be a huge piece of the market. Uh, they're they're going to typically take about 30 to 40 percent of the entire uh, market or entire shelf space within dispensary over time. Mm -hmm. And you, you have your millennials and post millennials moving into it. So we know it's going to be a big, big, big market. So we'll check that off. The second piece you're looking for is product market fit. So how does the consumer react with the brand? Do they like the brand? How are the reviews look like? And then there's a lot you can do in terms of research through either Leafly or talking to bud tenders to really understand how well a brand resonates with the consumer. Mm -hmm. The last piece, which I think is the most important piece, and it's really agnostic to how early or late the company is, is the entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. uh, as you can imagine, ideas are cheap. There's no marketplace for ideas. You can't go online to an eBay and buy an idea from someone. Instead, the, it's the exec execution or the operator that executes it that's the most important piece. So when you're talking to uh, entrepreneurs, you're trying to find like how can they roll with the punches. Being an entrepreneur means there's highs are high and the lows are low. How do they? How well do they deal with pressure? How well do they deal with stress? And have they done this before? So if someone has come up and say, I have an idea for a vaporizer, but this is my first time ever running a business, it's very different from someone coming in and saying, I sold something to a large CPG Nestle, and now I'm going to the vaporization space, and I want to create a portable vaporizer. You see them differently. One, you're, you're questioning a bit. The other one, the latter, you just want to put money in and say, just go do what you did before, and hopefully I'll make money off of that. It's almost how in, like, we're here in LA, so it's almost how if you had a first-time director, or first time like lead, you would want to attach people to it who have been in this game before to mm -hmm. make the best product possible. So if it was somebody- like the best who, movie possible. The best movie mean, possible. Right. So it would almost behoove someone who has a great idea, but it's their first time to align themselves with somebody who might be a little more savvy and have done this to you know, ease some of your fears. Absolutely. And that, that's, that's what we do from a VC, a company perspective as well. When we invest in companies, we have what we call an impact team. The impact team uh, is led by our COO, Olivier Dufermontel, who's the former COO of Canopy Growth uh, for six years, uh, Harvard MBA, McKinsey alumni. He has a real consulting background and he's the guy that in his team, they help these companies grow. So they help these companies find their DNA, find out what they're really, really good at, and then just outsource the rest and just focus really well on, on what they do best. That's fantastic. How are you guys incorporating the sort of old guard of Canada, like the BC bud, the the growers who, are they sort of coming online as, as entrepreneurs or are they working with, or are, they, are you finding them getting out of the business? What's going on with those guys? It's, it's a little bit of both. Uh, when, you, when you peel the onion back, it really depends on who has a criminal history and who doesn't. Oh, interesting. Uh, in, in a regu regulated market, Governments don't want to give licenses to those who have past infractions with, with cannabis. But isn't that just so crazy and hypocritical? So ironic yeah. and hypocritical. It sucks. Totally. Because um, I see them as martyrs as well because they're the folks that actually brought legalization to the table. Yeah. And now they can't directly play as officers of the company. Right. However, they you can hire them as growers and... Uh, and actually add them on the operational sides. But they can't they can be executives get, in the space. They can't be executives in the space, no. Is that, is that something that the Canadian government is working on to expunge those records so they'll be able to profit eventually? I think down the road, it is something that, that will definitely happen. But mm -hmm. for now, uh, someone mentioned it was the equivalent of uh, someone running an underground gambling uh, hub by getting a license to run a lottery system right after that. So it just, okay. it just doesn't... I, you can see both sides of the story. But to me, it kind of breaks my heart seeing that they can't 
actively participate in the industry like a general entrepreneur because of the history but it's because of them that we're here today so yeah. it's, it's a bit hypocritical definitely yeah it's a little crazy but also it's uh hopefully going to be rectified i mean that's part of what i think i'm excited about is we're you know not there yet in the u.s and i'm hoping hopeful that we're putting those things into place so that when federal legalization does happen that that's part of it that's my hope yeah, I well, I feel like living here in America, we're pretty behind. Yeah, how do you see America when you come here from Canada? Uh, it, it it depends. Like there, there's certain areas where you see real moves forward that you just don't see in Canada or anywhere else in the world. Um, brands is is probably the best one, especially on the West Coast. Yeah. The, the way the brands look, the way they interact with consumers the way they've created presence. Uh, and I don't care about what's on the shelf and what market share is because it's such a uh, pun intended budding industry. Uh, <laughs> Show title. <laughs> <laughs> but but mostly I, what I care about is how it affects the consumer's mind. Right. So when you talk to a consumer who's a cannabis consumer and you say, name me five brands, what are the five brands that come to their mind? Mm-hmm. And I think California companies have done a better, great job of that. Even Denver, some in Portland, uh, and, and a few in Seattle and Washington as well. Uh, so that, that I think is, is done very well. From the actual manufacturing and cultivation perspective, Canada really leads the way. Uh, just because when you have a regulatory body telling you what you can and can't do and how stringent they are, then there, there's not much that you can deviate from it without really breaking the rules like one of the, the large licensed producers in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. So so you're seeing quite the difference between it. Uh, and I always challenge uh, California brands, I say, when the next time you come to Toronto, come check out some of the facilities we have, and you'll just see how night and day production is. So when, you, when you're looking at it from a lens like that, and you're saying that, you know what, when the U.S. does finally legalize, there's going to be some federal body that says we need you to make sure that everything is up to par and there's no deviation from it. Um, th- then you, what you were looking for technically are companies here that are really close to the Canadian way quality management but they just don't need to be because there's nobody putting the gun to their head. One of the things that is happening in the U.S. that cannot happen in Canada because of the regulations is celebrity branding. How do you feel about that? I think it's one of those things that over time will go away. Like you you see um, celebrities, movie stars, and um, sports star athletes, they're they're promoting liquor and and alcohol and spirits and beers. Yeah. Uh, And and last I checked, uh, when you you smoke cannabis or use cannabis, you don't want to punch someone in the face, (laughs) unlike some of those those, those liquor uh, and what they do. So I think over time, we'll we'll move there. Um, The first step, uh, Canada's taking a very conservative stance because all eyes are on them. Uh, and, and they're treating it like a, a worse than a, a cigarette or tobacco industry, more like a pharmaceutical. Um, and, and I think that the U.S. is taking the complete other stance, which is let, let's let's work the, the capitalism side first and let these companies grow as fast as possible, and then we'll slap on regulations when we understand what's going to happen. Uh, I think it's going to end up somewhere in the middle there, uh, maybe closer to to the beer and alcohol industry, if I could peg it. When we were reading some of the interviews with you, how you were like, the beautiful thing about where we are right now is there really is no brand loyalty, which was kind of your second thing, those top five. But there's nobody who has claimed any kind of like top of the mountain yet. So when I think about celebrities like co-signing brands and doing things like that, it feels to me like those are the ones who will have brand loyalty. The same as if I see Jennifer Aniston hold a smart water in a magazine. So... Like, why wouldn't Canada want to lean in on something like that? But I think the people who really care about cannabis, just to jump in, aren't the ones who will buy something because any celebrity slapped their name on it. And people who 
smoke are going to always find the good genetics and all you know I, I don't know what's what's happening how do you see it shaking out I think I think both of you are correct okay. uh, there's the there's a cannabis connoisseur when you look at the data they choose it based on the quality mm-hmm. and then there's the individual that chooses it based on not the celebrity endorsement but how they want to feel so um, this is why again why I think California brands are, are such a big deal because uh, as a general a cannabis consumer the, the consumer looks at the industry and says I like the Cali vibe mm-hmm. I, I want to be that, that that Venice Beach Redondo Beach Manhattan Beach type of vibe where um, there's skateboarders surfers and, and there's cannabis involved as well and that you can pour it over anywhere around the world and that's the vibe that you want to get slap and uh, slap a celebrity on that and becomes an even more powerful vehicle uh, and then there's the all like the, the urban side which you can, like, can use a rapper or uh, um, hip hop artists and bring them on board and that's going to sell to uh, a demographic that wants to feel that way as well so mm-hmm. it all comes down to in my opinion branding and marketing 101 mm-hmm. uh, which is like how do you not sell a product but how do you get into the mind of your consumer and sell the values of that so but when, when, we're, when we're talking to marketers uh, and there's a lot of great ones here uh, they, they don't they actually have their consumer and their consumer profile of like who they actually sell to but then they have a consumer profile of who the aspiring consumer wants to be. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're if you're looking for mindfulness and yoga and you want to be that person that goes to the yoga studios, you might not actually be that person because you might actually go to yoga once a month. Mm-hmm. But you, you quite frankly want to go to Lululemon and get dressed like that and everything like that. So that's kind of the same vibe as you're getting in the cannabis space. So what excites you about being in cannabis coming from tech and jumping into this world? Like what gets you up in the morning and excited to go to work? It's a fast growth. So, so I have a young baby at home, eight month old, and uh, he wakes up at about six a.m. Around seven a.m. is when all the press releases from the cannabis companies hit. So while I'm getting ready to feed him for his first meal, uh, I'm just seeing the slurry of <laughs> information that I'm getting from what companies doing what in Germany and Latin America and the U.S. and what acquisition took place and whose earnings came out. And, and you're really just seeing from from nothing this this professional corporate industry really pop out of the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's just fascinating to see the, 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 the speed of growth and how nobody really knows what they're doing, but they're all picking uh, a certain branch or a certain piece of fork in the road and saying, that's where I'm going to go. And I think this is the path to, to gold and everyone's doing it differently. And some end up there, some don't really get there and some intertwine and merge and become a bigger thing. Uh, if you, if I take a step back, if you look at the alcohol, tobacco, pharmaceutical, CPG, you name it, industry, uh, all of which cannabis touches into, you take the top three players of those industries, you mash them together in terms of market capitalization, so what their stock value is on on the market, you get anywhere between three hundred, two hundred billion to about six hundred billion dollars. In the cannabis industry, if you do that today, you're around twenty to forty billion, depending on if you're in the summer or if you're in the hot period of time so if you think of it that way there's a whole 10x opportunity at least in this entire industry to get to maturity uh and our job as investors are trying to beat that because that's industry growth and we're trying to beat industry growth so it's a very exciting time did you go to school in canada yes where'd you go i went to the schulich school of business at, at york university did you smoke weed when you were at school i got busted for it Whoa! <laughs> yeah i did i did uh and uh, that, that was my first uh, taste of what was to come. Uh, never would I imagine, like even when talking to uh, alumni, that, that my, my peers from back then uh, were like, could you, could you imagine that this was a path you would have taken? Never would I have imagined that. Wow. Yeah. What a great story. Yeah. So you went to business school. 
you got busted for smoking weed, and then you went into tech. <laughs> I went into tech, and tech was even new in Canada back then, too. That We had no real investors, which is my, my old shop when I was there. We really just took advantage of that. Uh, and then now uh, you're just seeing the same thing in the cannabis space. So it's really it's really cool. Like we had, I had my 10 year anniversary this past year, and uh, when when I when when I'm talking to my peers, it was like, did you even imagine that this industry exist would exist? It's like no, you don't. So what, who knows what the next 10 years are going to come? Maybe it's psychedelic mushrooms. Who knows? Yeah, it very well could be. Could be. Yeah, which also great. Yeah. yeah, you know. Next steps to at least decriminalize and do a little research on it to see. You know, I had an interesting talk with uh, the C or one of the founders of Hello MD, and she was saying, you know, we've reached the tipping point. I think for cannabis to just really like become available to everyone, psychedelics is a different conversation, and I feel that too. You know, like I feel like you know, cannabis is uh, something that you can always you know suggest to almost anyone to try and i wouldn't i wouldn't suggest the same with psychedelics you gotta be a little more careful yeah absolutely like just down to the music like i can i can get high (laughs) and listen to any music but you better be careful with that music if you ingest some psychedelics yeah you know i think the beauty of it is there's no overdose there's no negative effects at least a lot that we know of right Uh, I i was reading studies about how nobody knows like vaporization is so new on the nicotine side which started off and now on the cannabis side no one knows what someone smoke it a vape for 30 years is going to feel like no one knows even if secondhand vapor smoke what it would how it affects people like there's just so little done on the clinical side uh which is both an opportunity but also a, definitely a risk for the industry so who knows what happens have you found yourself really quickly having to become sort of like a cannabis evangelist to explain it to people around you who don't understand Definitely. I think at the beginning, for sure. Yeah. Um, like I remember when, when I first left. So I was in a, the largest tech VC fund in, in Canada uh, and we did deals such as Hootsuite and Shopify. So really well-known names and a bunch of other ones as well. And when I made the move to cannabis, um, I remember my mother gave me a hard time on it. So she, she was she was she was really uh, pressuring me to not do it, not take it. Um, fast forward four or five months after that, she got her first feel for topicals uh, and she has arthritis so she started using that and now she hasn't turned back like she she fully she she sees the value of cbd and, and she really buys into what what we're doing here that's huge yeah yeah family support pretty nice she's probably gonna kill me for saying that on air but <laughs> <laughs> stigma still exists but it's give it a couple of years and and a good pivot into asking a little bit about CBD yeah. because I think currently you know since the farm bill was signed here in the U.S. last December and now CBD is widely available and people can sort of do e-commerce and and uh, you know especially I think like people who are interested in topicals and not necessarily like ingesting cannabis it's it's just become a craze and I'm just wondering how that's playing out in Canada right now a little differently so you can't buy CBD in. Uh generally in, in stores that you could have before. Uh, so you couldn't in, in here, so you can't go to CVS or Walgreens and buy uh, the equivalent of kid and buy CBD. It's actually sold only through dispensaries. Uh, one of the things that, when, when I look at the US uh, market, one of the things that really, I feel like regulatory buyers really need to step in is dosage. So the general cannabis consumer or the non-cannabis consumer, because uh, they're gonna be cannabis consumers later on, uh, they don't understand the difference between THC dosage and CBD dosage. Uh, on the CBD side, you need at least 100, 150, depending on what academia you read, uh, milligrams of CBD to actually feel the effects of it. Mm-hmm. So when you're going into one of these convenience stores or one of these uh, stores and buying a 10 milligram CBD drink, it's actually more of a placebo effect, unless you have 10 of them. On the THC side, 
100 milligrams or 250 milligrams, which some of these beverages and edibles come in, are going to pretty much turn you off for, from from the industry. So because it's going to be an uncomfortable experience, extremely right? uncomfortable yeah. experience. So I like the, the way Canada's look looking at it, which is saying that you know we're going to have 10 milligrams for THC only and CBD. That there's another threshold as well, uh, and you can't go over that. So what it does is, and I can go into more detail on this. It actually pushes the consumer for more volume purchase, which helps the company. But likewise, the consumer has the power in their hands to really dose themselves. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's where regulatory bodies really need to jump in. Does Canada have home grow? Are you allowed to grow your own? In some provinces there are, in some provinces there aren't. Okay. I can dive into what I think of the home grow too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, dive into all of this because this is um, like you're the first person we've been able to speak to who is seeing things on a global level and is like, you know, shifting conversations that um, we finally hear about. You yeah. know, in a very real way. It's a huge opportunity yeah. for us so to please. speak to you. So thank Absolutely. you. So here's a question I'll ask you guys. Um, when you look at small businesses in the U.S., what percentage of total businesses do they make up? Small businesses, my guess is going to be 23%. 98 to 99%. Wow. So right? these are small businesses, two people, three people, up to five people, uh-huh. make up that much of the, of the market. Now, if you look at the cannabis industry and, and allowing home growth to happen, what, what really takes place there is, is, is you're, you're, you're sort of, by accident, empowering the illicit market. Uh, it's called a weed for a reason. It's not that difficult to grow. It's difficult to grow very premium weed, of mm-hmm. course, but it's not difficult to grow it at all. Like You can look at YouTube videos of, of how to do it. There's There's companies making boxes where you just put the seed in and it'll do the rest for you. It'll keep the smell out of your house. Mm-hmm. Um, you can grow it outside. Uh, you can grow it inside. You can grow it anywhere, right? BC Northern Lights. Is, do you know those guys? Yeah, They're yeah. Like one of the OG advertisers in high times. And it's like a box that you put in your house. Yep. And you just grow weed in there. Amazing. Yeah. So so what you're doing with the home grows is, is you're effectively empowering the consumer to, to go and create their own weed, sell it to their friends. Uh, but I don't want to make my own beer. True, but beer is much different than than, than what, what you get on the, on the cannabis side. Beer, you actually have to have the, the yeast that comes from the brewer to really create something that is similar to what you're getting in stores. Mm-hmm. On the cannabis side, just looking at the YouTube guides and selling to your own uh, friends and family circle, there's guides out there that you can actually download that shows you can make like $80,000 a year, which to many people, especially in middle America, is a ton of money. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. so... so by allowing home grows, you can't complain about the illicit market, in my opinion. And there's always a flip side to that because the compassion user wants that home grow because that's what it's meant for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have your pros and cons for, for uh, these rulings. Mm-hmm. So some provinces in Canada allow home grows, like Ontario does, but Quebec right next to it does not. But you're in support. I'm in support because I, I do believe that it helps the compassion user, yeah. but um, just don't complain about illicit markets when, when you're doing it. I wanted to ask because I think that the grow your own is such an important part of uh, cannabis legalization. And it's just interesting to hear from you from a business perspective that you don't think it's a threat to the legitimate market and that people shouldn't think of it as something that would be used to contribute to the black market. Yeah, I mean, if, if there was enough dispensaries out there that sold enough legitimate legal cannabis, then you, you'd really... Um, dilute the, the illicit market down to those who just wanted to get more than premium type product mm-hmm. uh stuff that you can only grow if, if you use the wrong pesticides and heavy metals etc and and uh and that's only the illicit market really uh so I, I think there's a place for both like i, I mean um I, I haven't been to the emerald cup it's one of those things that i'd love to 
check off like uh, uh, for for the cannabis industry and really see what the other side of the world looks like this December. This December, mm-hmm. uh, so so gonna go. I'm gonna pretty pumped to check it out as well and, and see what it's like. Uh, I think there's a space for both of them. I think over time you're gonna see the illicit market not exist. Uh, that's just because companies are gonna become more sophisticated, better at processes. And it's going to be how the beer industry is and how you just mentioned it, where your, your, your home crafted beer is not going to taste anything similar to what you're going to get in the store. Right. And once prohibition is truly well and truly ended and people have legal access to it, I think that like, yeah, that black market will just, you know, nobody's really, are people still making moonshine? I mean, I got a good tub. Oh yeah? <laughs> yeah. It's a great tub. You marinating some corn in your tub at home? Yeah, <laughs> Landlord's not allowed to come in, but it's there. Wow, I hear you'll go blind. Be careful. All right, well, whatever. <laughs> what? Yeah, I mean, I mean, just just to add to that, I think that if you talk to brands, especially in the U.S., and you say, why don't you put $20, $25 million to research and development R&D? And they'd be like, well, if I do that, then where's the other capital going to come from? Mm-hmm. So I think once you open up legalization, you allow them to raise money and allow them to go faster, then they can actually put money towards creating better quality cannabis for the legal market, mm-hmm. which is going to push out the illicit market down the road. And then your home grows are only going to be for your, your compassion users. Mm-hmm. Are you able to talk with the people who are making these regulation choices so that you can like, is it legal to work together with like people like you and people in government to like lay out a game plan that makes sense for everybody? Outside of lobbying, it's, it's, it's hard unless you have a personal contact just because uh, they don't want to be seen as being uh, um, convinced from the, the, the private side. Sure. Uh, so I, I totally get that. So, um, but so yeah, that, that's a short answer. Okay. For it just seems like if everybody talked a little bit more, things would um, like, you know, everything would settle in a very like um, positive way that everybody could win at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, what, one of my biggest fears in the U.S. is the FDA just shows up and says, or we're going to press the reset button. And this is what everyone has to do. And all these companies, their sales are going to go down to zero and they have to rebuild back again with these new regulations and come back up. So to me, just looking at how long the FDA is taking to come out with a ruling, we know they're going to say something about us because it does affect food uh, and, and drugs. And, and it does. Uh, there's a lot, huge population that's moving towards CBD, uh, already a lot big THC followers as well. Uh, you need to do something. The longer they wait, the more these businesses get hurt when that reset button does hit. Fucking brutal. It, which actually brings us to, um, you were talking about the five waves. Yeah. And I would love to hear more about that and dig in on a couple of them because this seems like a natural place to kind of break those down. Yeah. So we've seen, uh, again, over 1,500 pitches to, to in this past year alone. Uh, and, and when you see all those, you kind of get to understand how different markets are moving. So with the exception of Israel, which, which operates a bit differently because they jumped to the medical side before they even looked at anything else. Typically, there, there's a certain waves that, that we identified of generally a market moving into it. So the first wave is cultivation. Uh, cultivation, extraction, they both kind of fall into that same bucket. They're very valuable when there's licenses are scarce. So if you're in Florida and you have one of the six licenses to grow cannabis, it's a lot of money. It's a big population. You're one of the first movers. You have a leg up in creating a facility, which takes about 18 to 24 months to do. So you can actually get to market much quicker than anybody else, even if they got a license six months after you. Mm-hmm. So typically in, in those times, uh, you see cultivation extraction companies worth a lot. The next wave to come through is the ancillary market. They see this is like the LeafLink or the headset or uh, companies that are, that are helping shape the, the cultivation. Maybe they're providing hardware, software, technology, 
fertilizers, LED lights. The, the ancillary market is actually worth three times the size of the cultivation extraction industry. So I'm sorry, but like, so the land is incredibly valuable, but the technology that connects all of the land and all of the moving pieces of the land is really 10 times more valuable and important. Yeah. So it takes about 50 to $100 million to create a cultivation facility. Uh-huh. So that, that's the ancillary industry that you're paying for to, to create that piece outside of the, the human labor and the consultants, et cetera. So um, you, you can imagine ancillary industry, there's, there's a lot more money in it. And then cultivation slowly ramps up and mm-hmm. kind of takes over. But right now, there's a bit of a 3x gap between the two. And when I was at High Times, one of the largest uh, advertisers that really kept the magazine afloat during some lean times was a nutrients company. Which yep. is ancillary, right? Yep. Yeah, definitely. It, was, definitely. it wasn't the growers who were advertising in the pages of High Times. It was a legal nutrients company who was able, they were able to reap the benefits. And yeah, it was pretty cool to watch. Yeah. So that, that, second wave. That's second wave. Okay. Uh, third wave is CPG, consumer packaged goods. Hmm. Uh, this is when, um, was what we're seeing on the table right now with all the different products that you have. Uh, you're creating packaged goods for the consumer. Typically, they come in either dry flower or uh, vapes, edibles, beverages, patches, sublingual sprays, you name it. Um, you, you're not, this is when cannabis start, slowly starts becoming an ingredient, not the actual product itself. Hmm. So when, when you talk to a beverage manufacturer and you ask them, why are you selling 250 milligram bottles on the shelves? They say, well, the retailer looks at me and says, uh, I only have a small footprint uh, and I need to put THC on the shelf. I don't need to put orange juice. So the more THC you have, the higher dollar value I'll give you. Mm-hmm. The lesser THC you have, lower dollar value you give you. So a 250 milligram bottle will cost, uh, call it 20 bucks. Uh, and, and to the brand, they're going to get a margin of, call it 50%, 40-50%. If you were to do a 10 milligram bottle, the retailer would actually drop that price down to uh, three bucks, four mm-hmm. bucks, five bucks, uh, which is now competes against the beer. But likewise, the the brand itself is getting a margin in the in the, in the single digits. So mm-hmm. this quite seems the like the most risky and quite possibly like highest failure rate of all of the waves because it's just flooded with everybody with their ideas. So like, oh, weed eye drops. Let's, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, so like, I, I why would like why would you get into that? It just sounds like the hardest fight in the world. Mm-hmm. Going back space. to yeah, totally. Go, going back to your previous. Uh, no, talk um it's it's there's no real corona out there there's no real modello or yeah. camel or mm-hmm. lucky strike or uh, marlboro out there that really exists so for these brands saying that i want to create something and i might have a shot of getting that mind share uh, is really really big for them and it's worth it because what if you do get it um you actually get to command a premium for the ability to give the consumer exactly what they know what they're going to get Wow. So you shoot your shot in hoping you become the Gretzky of the game. Yeah, definitely. Like you look at, look at agriculture, like find it, find a, 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 something that they're growing out there that isn't drilled down to minuscule margin down over time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of crops are like that. And then the best growers, the best farmers uh, outside of cannabis are the ones that learn how to scale and do it very cheaply to get the most margin off of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at the brand space, you can actually start commanding a lot. You, you look at how, what the cost of materials is for a cologne, perfume, mascara, cosmetics, compared to what the price you're selling it at. And that gap is typically marketing that they're paying for. Uh, but but you can see how the price difference is. You can command a lot of margin by getting that brand right. Mm-hmm. And that's what everyone's going for. So that, that that's wave three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're right now, I'd say in between wave two and wave three, depending on what market you, you look at in North America. Wave four is pharma and medicinal. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I think personally that it's going to be the biggest of, of the five waves uh, just because you see so much anecdotal evidence on epilepsy, cancer, insomnia, PTSD, uh, PTSD, uh, arthritis, uh, eczema, like you name it. There's there's some cannabis compound out there that's trying to solve for that. So I do think it's going to be a big market. The only reason it's wave four and it's not anything sooner is because clinical trials take a long time. So it takes about five years for an orphan drug. 10 to 15 years for a normal clinical trial. So now you're, you're really taking a while to, to get that research out. And this, this is because you need to do those double blind studies uh, that academically can be uh, associated with success, uh, saying that this actually works for this. Mm-hmm. So GW Pharmaceutical is very popular for epilepsy. They, they went orphan drug status and they got it done in five years, but you have to get approved for that status. So that, that's way four. And way five is, is mass market. This is when, uh, Boston Consulting Group has this thing called the rule of three or four, which means typically in a mature market, you have three to four major players. The fourth one has uh, double the market share of the second one and the second one, double the third one. And then beyond the fourth one, there's there's not that much out there. Mm-hmm. We're kind of seeing that in the cannabis space. Like if, if you look at the, the data of brands in California, beverages, edibles, vapes, the top five typically represent 70 to 90% of all sales within the, the industry. Uh, sorry, within the state. So you're kind of seeing that that move towards that. But uh, what we're also seeing is that people are falling on and off that top five all the time. Mm-hmm. So this is where the brand play really comes into it. Do you think uh, like certain dispensaries would fall into that category as well? Because they are going to be the trusted dispensary to go to across the country eventually? Like Med Men, you mean? Well, yeah, I wasn't going to say them, but I'm going to say them. <laughs> sure. <laughs> like you, you see the pros and cons of, of what they're doing. Uh, if I was to say... So, I, right now, dispensaries are huge because mm-hmm. if you can command and control the, the actual distribution where, where what customers see at their eye level when they walk into stores, you can command a lot of value as a company. Over time, if I were to take the contrarian approach, which is the opposite approach, I'd say that the risk you're running as a retailer is that you become a dry cleaner model, which is what's the closest dispensary to me? Because there's so many brands and I, I see the same brands in most of these dispensaries. Uh, and, and I just want to pick up weed for whatever I want to do. Mm-hmm. That's a scary thought for the retailers because in that situation, you become a department store. And as we know, department stores don't really make that much money. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, there's a lot of competitive pressure, drills down the margins to not razor thin, but much lower than, than what you're expecting. I do think there's a value for uh, um, specialty retail. So think The Gap or Lululemon, where you're actually selling your own product. Like uh, Doses just opened up their own brick and mortar here in, yeah, in Venice or Abbott Kenny, yeah. yeah. And I, I think that really makes sense because mm-hmm. you control the messaging, customer comes in, they can't buy your product anywhere else. Doses is a bit different because you can, but um, you kind of make them only go to one location and that, that drives a lot of value to it. Uh, so, so I see that really working out in the long run. Uh, but but time time will tell. If, if there's not that many dispensaries out there like what, like what you're seeing in California or even in parts of Canada, then... Uh, the value of a dispensary becomes really large. Do you see a future for e-commerce in cannabis sales? I do, but I, one of the toughest things is how to get to the hurdle of the age uh, mm. verification. I mean, you don't really see, you see it in alcohol, but it's not really like I don't know if it's legitimate. I mean, people don't really know if it's gray market. Can you actually buy alcohol through? Yeah, I'm selling moonshine, man. <laughs> <laughs> you can actually here in the U.S. You can buy. There are a couple of um, apps you can have on your phone. You can get it delivered to your door so how do do they know you're of age they do age verification through you have to get like upload your id 
Okay. And, you know, they check it. I mean, I'm sure there are ways to, you know, do it with fake ID or whatever, but there are apps on your phone. Yeah. Like, well, one of the things everyone talks about is like Uber, is Uber going to start selling cannabis? Right. And yeah. my pushback to that is, well, when you buy food from Uber, Uber Eats, they're not selling you liquor. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is they're, uh, their, their drivers aren't, uh, we call it smart serve in Canada, but they're not licensed to see an ID and give a, a, a bottle of beer. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have that licensing. And if they did, then the population of Uber Eats drivers would drill down to a certain amount because nobody would be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Nobody can just go into a bar and be a bartender, right? Right. Yeah. Are you in Toronto? Yes. So if someone comes to Toronto and they ask you like where to go and what to do, do you have your sort of recommendations? Like here's where to like go to the hot box cafe or do you have a favorite dispensary that you recommend or any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, definitely. So I'd say favorite dispensary would be the Tweed dispensary on uh, Young and Dundas, which mm-hmm. is like the epicenter of tourism. But it's, it's the one that they've put, in my opinion, the, the most uh, effort into just to kind of get their brand out there. Um, and it's a really cool experience to go. Uh, and then on the, the the vape side, there's a there's a there's a consumption lounge on Young and Bloor. Uh, I forget what it's called, mm-hmm. uh, which which is pretty much tied to cannabis. If you forget, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so but but it, it's a really cool place to check out if, if you're if you want to check out what a stores in Bicol volcano looks like or or anything like that. Cause yeah, that was just a recent like purchase, bucks. correct? Or a recent? I, I'm not sure what the terminology. Yeah, so KB Growth bought the the company. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think it was like less than a year ago. Up to now, things go by so fast. I, I did a review of them for. Um, I do a lot of like on camera reviews for some media companies, and uh, that was one of the first ones I tried. Where I was like, oh, this is legit. Like this mm-hmm. is a good idea done well, and uh, the volcano. I, um, no, it was a uh, oh the mighty. the mighty yeah the mighty oh, the crafty the mighty yeah. and it was great. It's crazy how that, that that company is the only company that has a DIN number, which which makes them a, a actual medical product in Canada. So you can get it you can, if your doctor prescribes you cannabis, you can actually get it and get it paid for by insurance. Wow, which is ridiculous, unbelievable. Yeah, they're a German company, aren't they? Yes. Well, yeah. now they're I guess they're kind of Canadian. Yeah. But German. <laughs> Yeah. But Germany's really been leading the way with a lot of the uh, marijuana innovation, right? Definitely have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you peel the onion back, though, the market's not that big. So they do medicinal right. marijuana, well, medicinal cannabis only. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their their patient population is about 10,000. So oh. if you're launching in, in Germany, you're going to quickly hit the ceiling pretty yeah. quick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can probably just go door to door. Yeah. I'd like to, as we wind down, could we talk about money f- as a as like a concept just the idea of like deciding how to use 50 million dollars i i would get in my own way a little bit because i'm like oh my god it's 50 million dollars but it's not really about the money necessarily depending on how you think of money so as the president of a company like this like how do you think of money on a day-to-day basis to make good choices you you have to think of it in, in the way that if you spend the money you'll never get it back so you can't see it as being the frothy cannabis industry where if I spend it, I can just go out and raise again and et cetera, et cetera. And, and I have so many shots at net. You, in, 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 in retrospect, you don't have that. And you saw that in the tech industry happen as well uh, when the tech bubble came about, which is kind of what I'm not saying that this is a bubble because I don't think it is because it's very different from one another. But in, in the early 2000s, these tech companies were getting a lot of money. Uh, they're getting hundreds of millions to go public very soon. Uh, a lot of them didn't have a business model. They had an idea, um, and, and they were just trying to go as fast as possible with the expectation that if it didn't work out, they'd go back and raise again because the internet's going to be huge. Um, what happened was 
the, the recession hit, a lot of these companies went out of business, but some of them actually did survive. And the ones that did survive found, found a niche that they're really, really good at. And that's really focused their money on their energy, their resources, et cetera. And I think the same thing, uh, should happen in the cannabis space. I am a firm believer in, uh, horizontal integration, which is you focus like packs on what you're really, really good at and don't do anything else. So now when, when you do get coming to your question, when you do get that $50 million, spend it like you're never going to get it back. Uh, and, and, and cause you never know what's coming out of it. Uh, and for, if you're an operating company, like we're, we're a fund, so it's a bit different. We actually get, um, all of our costs are paid for through our, uh, the interest or the royalties that we get from our, some of our deals. So we, and we have a very small staff of 15 people, so it, it doesn't take that much to cover our, uh, SGNA costs. But if you're an actual product or a brand, what you want to do is spend like you're a tech company, but have the ability to say, you know what, if shit hits the fan and the markets aren't what it looks like uh, right now, I have the ability to go cash flow positive by just toning down the marketing a bit and, and actually turning a profit. But I'm, I choose not to right now because it's about who can grab the, the greenfield as fast as possible. And that that's the secret there. Can I ask you, so we started this podcast a year ago and we've had such an interesting time growing and talking to all sorts of industry titans and entertainers and activists and all sorts of people in the cannabis space. And we were so excited when you found us and we're so grateful to have you here talking to us. Very. How, what led you to us? Uh, I, was, I, I noticed that, I mean, podcasts are becoming incredibly popular within culture today. I was reading an article, I remember this now, in GQ that was talking about, uh, someone was talking about their podcast and it was a podcast addict. And this person said any moment of time that they have to themselves, from sitting on the john to taking transit to work, they were listening to a podcast and they're listening to it two times because they want to get the most information possible and it was the fastest way to get the news. So then when I was looking at the cannabis space, I said, you know what, There's there's a lot of very interesting podcasts out there that both look at it from the perspective of the entrepreneur, perspective of a grower, perspective of a consumer, and, and they all have their niches. And, and these things are really blowing up. And I did a podcast on another uh, with another uh, group uh, called six months ago. And the number of times I've been pinged uh, by saying, I listened to this podcast by a company, an entrepreneur saying that you nailed it. This is exactly how I think through this. Can I meet with you? Uh, is very powerful. The most powerful thing that I've gotten, the messages that I've gotten from podcasts is when someone pings you and says, I don't want your money. I don't want to uh, sell you anything. All I want to do is understand your perspective of this. I'm a company. I'm doing X, Y, Z. And you said this. I'm terrified now. What do I do? And that's when you know you've grabbed them because that, that because they don't want anything other than your thoughts and your leadership and your thought leadership there. And for my company, that, that, that's, that, that's, our, that's our holy grail. Like we're, we're not, to, to be a good venture capital fund, this is how the Silicon Valley companies work, isn't to actually sell your money, isn't to actually say, let me invest in, your, in you and, and get money out of it. It's actually the opposite around. You want to be a media company that promotes how friendly you are to entrepreneurs because you have to, and then you have to actually back it up too because reputations can be killed within five minutes, even though you built it for 40 years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But likewise, you need to educate the, the, the consumer, educate mm-hmm. the entrepreneur, educate them as much as possible. And if you just keep giving and giving and giving like a media company does and not expect anything back, you're going to get back dividends. It might take a while, but there's a snowball effect to it. And you get a following and, and people are going to start listening to you. And, and I think podcasts are a fantastic way or medium to, to really get there. 
Yeah. That feels so cool. It's great. It's why we do this. It's yeah. really just like spreading the message, educating, you know, normalizing, talking about what we love about cannabis and food and talking to interesting people like you and, and just like having a great time getting getting that message out. Absolutely. This was so fantastic. Amazing. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much for coming. Wow. Um, any final thoughts in terms of would you like to share like websites or um, co-sign things that you're excited about right now or if you want to share how people can reach you? Anything like that? Yeah. So you can visit us at www.canopyrivers.com. Uh, we recently, uh, like our most recent news, and there's always news coming out every week, is we, we got approval to move from the TSX Ventures, which is a small cap stock exchange to the TSX big board, uh, which which enhances liquidity uh, and, and creates more awareness because more uh, funds and institutional investors can invest into uh, a company when they're on the TSX. So we're really excited about that. There's a lot of work done by the team to, to really get there. And it just kind of opens it up and create, it creates more credibility and legitimacy to, to our company and, and what we're trying to do. Like our, our goal is to see this thing through. Like we, we, we don't like when you look at the stock market, it's depressed in the summer, it's depressed in December. Uh, it's, it's not really our, our key focus. Our key focus is how is this industry blossoming? And every stat you look at, I'd say 99% to give that 1% away in case something goes, in case I'm wrong, uh, says that consumption's increasing, penetration's increasing, intenders are becoming users, rejectors are becoming intenders, uh, and, and everything's moving towards this thing actually becoming a global industry mm-hmm. so if you look at it like that we're so early we're only on the third inning of a, of a nine inning baseball game which is my u.s reference there nice yeah. we got it <laughs> we nice. got it at the end <laughs> so so it's really early times uh, so just buckle up and just check out what's what's going to happen all around you and if you want a career in cannabis like get excited about it now and start training for it because i think this will be a great opportunity for for everyone hopefully huge Absolutely. And if you would like to follow us, we are at Weed and Grub on Instagram, weedandgrub.com, and vote for our South by Southwest panel right now. It is art and entertainment and the role that plays in social awareness, activism, and business. And who wouldn't want us to talk about stuff like this at South by Southwest? Right? <laughs> right. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank Bye, everybody. You. Bye.